0: This is The Art Life. Hello! I'm Zandra Robinson-Burns, founder of Heroin Training, where we learn to be the protagonists of our lives through writing and podcasts like this one. This episode asks, can writers enjoy reading? And by extension, can actors enjoy watching movies? And for that perspective, I must introduce my co-host, actress and activist, Grace Gordon. Grace, how is your art life?
1: This week, my art life is back to basics. If you listened to last episode, you will have heard me complain about dealing with a lot of last minute cancellations and flakiness last week. I had a really frustrating week. I already went through it in the last episode and we had a wonderful discussion about boundaries and contracts and advocating for yourself financially. But after such a difficult week, I found myself getting down to the bare bones of my favorite things about my art life because I needed to re-inspire myself. When I need that, it's not about going out and doing something really dramatic or, you know, seeing some show. It's usually what I really need is to settle in and get back to those important daily practices that I love so much or really get back into my body when I'm frustrated. So my art life is all about my senses right now. Um, I went out and I bought a couple of velvety dresses at like a thrift store. Um, I had been wanting to find... um, like, a certain color red velvet dress because my sister bought me these beautiful red velvet shoes for Christmas. And I'd been, like, looking online at different used things, and then I, I kind of went on a wander over the weekend, and I, I found a quite a few good options. And it just, especially when I'm frustrated um, and feeling a little lost, really bringing myself back into my body and like, into pleasurable sensations is, like, all that I need. So I bought some velvet dresses. I cooked a lot more in the past couple weeks, um, which just felt so soul-nourishing. And um, I read two books, I believe, on Sunday. (laughs) Just read two books in one sitting. And I'm, like, back back to my cheerful, steady, optimistic self. And that is because I had to just tune out those things that were frustrating me and focus instead on the little pleasures of life, of everyday life, of everyday art life.
0: I'm so happy for you. I know we've talked about how your horror movie Barbie. And as you go ac- about this replenishing of your your basic rituals i'm i'm picturing you like the barbie doll version of yourself of like and then i do this these are my the this is my setting these are my accessories i'm get i'm gonna match my shoes with my dress
1: hi i'm barbie <laughs> i like to watch horror movies and stroke velvet dresses <laughs> <laughs> when i get sad i cook moroccan food that's it that's <laughs> me
0: I <laughs> <laughs> I love the uh, I I love the stability and th- and that personalization of it as well. Where that's something that I attribute to a Barbie doll in a box of of like it's never just Barbie. It's a certain mood or a certain a certain she she does have these little personality quirks. So this is this is you
1: and in perfect alignment with what I needed, I picked up Austin Kleon's new book called "Keep Going." he wrote steal like an artist and show your work and his latest book keep going is all about this kind of feeling of frustration when maybe you're spending too much time reading the news and getting depressed or you're just feeling like your your work isn't having the results that you want it to it was really really inspiring and his his work is always so simple and It's always exactly what I need when I pick it up. So his book, Keep Going, was like the perfect thing to read this week. And that is also, you know, yet another reason that I feel so much better now.
0: What's his name again?
1: Austin Cleon.
0: I can't believe I I haven't read any of of his books. But that idea of Keep Going is uh, what I was about to
1: talk about. Well, Zandra, how is your art life?
0: Well, since you ask... My my art life is busy and I don't I really resist using that word but I I want to admit that I feel busy right now with all of the all of the projects that I have going since launching this podcast since launching my Patreon it's several extra hours of work that have been built into my weekly schedule. And that's on top of of continuing to understand what what my writing process is for publishing essays, what my writing process is for balancing that with the vignettes and poems and other things that I do, all with Everyday Wonderland and figuring out how to invite people. And through all of this, where I feel like I can talk about it and not just be exasperated by how busy I am, is something that I've learned over the years that if I keep going, if I keep doing this and and just show up week after week, those hours will dwindle down. We will perfect the system of what it's like to run this show, what it's like for me to have extra extra writing assignments to uh, publish for my patrons to make sure that they get extra things. All of those things have this buffer around them right now of uh, of the extra time because my process isn't whittled down to to the bare essentials. But I know that over time, I'll just, I'll master it.
1: Yeah, you absolutely will. And we always have to remind ourselves that when we take on a new project, it just feels overwhelming for a while. And then you look back on it a year later, and it's like part of your every, you know, part of your week, and you don't even think twice about it. I even feel that way about journaling. I remember when I started Morning Pages, I was like, oh my god, a half hour every day? Of journaling like that I don't have time for that and now I'm like if I don't journal I don't know who I am um, and I, I think that you'll definitely you'll definitely get your routines more defined and um, you'll get in your flow more and more over the next couple of months but I, I would imagine that you know within the next few months you're not even gonna have to think twice about something like fitting in time for the podcast
0: yeah i think the time i i fit in the time i it just it has to get done and what's what's interesting to me about thinking about this is the product will look the same so an example is my everyday wonderland postcards which i've been running that program for over a year now and i used to have this process of spending several days thinking about what the next postcard would be about, what the next call to adventure would be about. And then you don't see all of the time that went into it. My readers will just receive the final postcard. But lately, after doing this for a year, every week, I, that process has shortened a lot. A lot of it becomes more embodied, a lot more automatic and the result is the same i don't think the postcards have really changed in how they appear but that that timeline of how much time it took to to get it ready to send that has diminished significantly and i i know from from doing that project for so long from running tea parties for so long that um that That preparation, the questions around the preparation will will go away as I develop confidence in my process.
1: And practice makes perfect, and this is true for just any part of our lives. Mm. You really do just have to do the thing over and over and over, and then you know your your muscle gets worked, and it's easier and easier. I, I think that's true for so many different projects, practices, challenges that we give ourselves. The goal is to turn it into a, a daily habit or a weekly habit and not like, a you know, you get to the goal is to get to the point where you aren't putting it in your planner and stressing over the preparation and looking for the answers, but they're just in you because you're just doing it every day. Right. And I mean, this is goal-oriented versus process-oriented, right? Mm. I mean, the everyday wonderland is also now so very much part of your everyday process it's 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 part of what you do when you go for a walk you know it's kind of in the back of your mind like I I feel like it's it's so very much part of who you are now that yeah it doesn't feel like something you have to schedule in and stress out about finding the right questions for ideas for at this point
0: yeah that that sums it up really well and to bring it back to this show that we're recording, I think because we record so frequently, because this show is being produced weekly, I those systems are getting tighter uh, more quickly. If we were recording once a month, then I think I would have to relearn a lot of things.
1: Well, it's funny because we took so long to find our voice and meeting. we were meeting every week. But we only recorded a couple times before we launched. Um, Yeah, and now I'm like no stress. We meet every week at the same time, pop an episode out. You know, it's already, even though it's you know it's still an adjustment getting used to schedules and recordings and editing. I'm already like not I'm not worried about what the product is going to be when we're actually making it. Whereas yeah. I think when we started, there we were so so many hours of discussion about what the product was going to be and what our voice was and what we were trying to communicate. Now I'm like, I ha- I do have confidence in us as artists that we have the topic, you know, we splat it up on the wall, we meet up in the studio, <laughs> cross-continental studio, and whatever comes out is what it's supposed to be. And I have developed like complete confidence in that.
0: I think it was really funny how... We talked about this theoretically for so long and then when we finally recorded episode one, at the end of that recording, we were both shocked about what topics emerged from each of us, where the conversation went. There's only so much pre-planning we could do to anticipate what would emerge and in letting the show go on, it started to define itself as well.
1: Funny enough, this is actually something I bring up a lot about modeling work um, mm-hmm. or just photography in general. I can tell if someone's well-practiced versus well whether... Or I can usually tell if someone's well-practiced versus an amateur when they send like a ton of questions and inspiration photos. I know that they're newer mm. as a photographer. And when they're very well-practiced there's very little communication beforehand because there's just like a a trust that you're going to find the thing you're going to find it within the session mm. and I think so often in our show we have a concept that we come to for each episode that or that we plan ahead for each episode and then we discover all of these jewels that we were not expecting to discover and and that's because the more we do it The more relaxed we are and the more open we are to just like creating some magic.
0: And talking about modeling as a metaphor for the process of this show, for my writing projects, that's just so art life.
1: It's so art life. Now I'm going to have a lot of trouble not being in horror movie Barbie voice for the rest of the week. (laughs) So thanks a lot. I have a podcast. (laughs) My accessory is my headphones.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. You are so welcome.
1: This week's topic
0: was born from a discussion about a letter that we received in our P.O. box. And Grace has chosen a passage to get us started. So do you think there's any... What's the context that you'd like to set us up with before reading?
1: We mentioned last week that we got our first Art Life listener letter sent to our PO Box from Ashley McDonnell. Um, thank you again, Ashley. And it was a, a absolutely beautiful letter talking about everything from reading manga to watching shows to listening to music as frequently as possible. But more than anything, Ashley talked about how consuming art has started to feel like homework and like a competition, especially in the social media age. She feels like we're constantly having to keep up with our friends and it's making things less enjoyable. So I chose this, um, just this passage from the letter to read to everyone because this gorgeous piece of art, this letter that she sent us, this physical object that I'm holding in my hands, um, <laughs> uh, it's, it sparked an entire episode topic. So I'll go ahead and I'll read part of her letter and then we will jump into our discussion. So Ashley says, and it is a relief to hear you talk about disconnecting from the machine of consumption as much as possible. And Not focusing on goals or getting to the next thing, and instead being present. I hate when I find myself, while reading a book, thinking, I have to get through this so that I can move on to the next book. What? Why am I reading? I don't want to be reading because I have to read a 100 books this year, because that's what my friends challenge themselves to do. I don't want to show off that I own books on Instagram, to just show off my collection and see other people do the same. I want to read to have fun and to learn and to genuinely connect with fellow fans. And I'll stop there. Thank you again, Ashley. This lovely discussion is something that I think Zandra and I both think about a lot. And that is how we got here in our discussion of whether writers enjoy reading or, in my case, actors enjoy watching movies and TV. Zandra, what was your first reaction when you read this letter? There's so much energy in Ashley's
0: writing. I can really feel the frustration that she's experiencing and working through with a topic that is so familiar to me. It makes me think about why we read and what it means to read for fun. I have let go of... I've let go of counting the number of books that I read, of even having a reading list, and I'm still in this process of shedding as much of that achievement and competition surrounding surrounding what I've read and being able to boast about how well-read I am. And Grace, I was thinking about something that you said a long time ago in a personal conversation about, well, isn't reading my part of my job? And it got me thinking about whether that helps me enjoy it more or less. Because it sounds like for you, and we've talked about this a bit on the podcast before, that you sound excited when you talk about how you get to watch movies and tv as work like that counts is that how you feel about it
1: i definitely think that it's funny like i love going home and joking to my family that like well it's my job to watch movies and you know be caught up on things because that is true like my talent manager is like you need to watch everything you need to be able to hold down a conversation about everything that's coming out that people are talking about and he's absolutely right like there's an expectation that you are keeping up with all of the popular movies and tv which is frankly outrageous but (laughs) somehow that expectation exists um and I do think it's funny. I think you know, childhood grace would be so excited to hear that. Um, and it's made even more extreme by the fact that I'm like a, I'm a on the nominating committee for the Screen Actors Guild Awards this year. So I also have a lot of these screenings with talkbacks to go to, so that I'm making informed voting choices, which is fantastic because I'm. Getting to see, you know see some of these artists talk about their craft and working on specific projects in person, and it's very exciting and very Hollywood, um, but it's a huge commitment time wise, and I have become wary of just watching something because everyone tells me I have to. Mm. I am wary, and I think part of it is intentionally developing my own taste and not needing to please other people. For for me, um when it comes to film, I've noticed that I really don't enjoy mob movies. I am of a generation that missed that like that missed real life mob stories in the news. Mm. None of that really existed by the time that I was born or conscious. Um and I feel like so many movie so many um of the like you know, this is the best movie ever made. Lists name things like The Godfather and um, Goodfellas. Films that, while I can understand the technical brilliance of, I don't really enjoy. So, one thing that I've come to, like, come to conclude over the past couple years is like, I actually don't have to watch everything, or I don't have to like everything. I don't have to. Talk about the Godfather with, like, you know, fawning adoration just because people expect me to. I can just not like it because it's not for me. I do think it's really cool that I. It is my homework to be caught up on TV, to be going to the, to the movies. Of course, I think it's awesome. It's awesome. I also like homework. You know, that's something you understand Mm -hmm. too. Like I like having assignments and I love art. So I think it's freaking awesome that I, I consider it part of my job to be watching things all the time. But I know that I don't want to lose the pleasure of it. And sometimes that takes that takes a lot of um, confidence in myself, almost, to to be able to turn away from something that isn't for me, even if everyone else says it's the greatest thing. Or you know, at this point in my life, because my time is limited, for the first time ever, I am stopping shows a couple episodes in if I'm not loving them. Whereas before, I was such a finisher. That I would like, you know, throw my hands up over my ears and go la 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 if I even heard of someone judging something before they watched it to completion. Now I'm like, I don't have every, you know, I don't have all the time in the world. I if four episodes in, I'm not grabbed, I'm done, and that's like taken a lot of um, self development for me to like feel confident about myself. Um, you know, to trust my own taste and intelligence enough to be comfortable making those sort of choices for myself.
0: You know, I don't like mob movies either. (laughs) I think that I just don't. (laughs) And I think you articulated it so well is that it's, it's something that is disconnected from my experience. And I, I can't, I can't relate to it. Not that I need to relate to everything that I engage with. But I am thinking about what the purpose of reading is, and by reading, I count all forms of art media, all all genres, all media of art. I I think about reading as as research, as gathering. As I I used the word a few episodes ago, and that inspired the current theme that we're focusing on in Everyday Wonderland this month, I, I think of reading as gathering. So I think there are two separate pieces here as professionals where on one hand, we need to be well-read. We need to be aware of the context of our own work by watching the significant movies, by reading the significant texts. But then there's another piece of being a professional artist that is related to the gathering, and that is continuing to be inspired, continuing to find pieces of art that I connect to, that can inform what I create. Is that something that you can relate to?
1: Well, and so much of like, Ashley's letter even was about this kind of peer pressure. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of what I'm talking about, too, is, like, you know, almost needing to validate your own art by having seen every movie ever. Or, you know, in your case, like, having to validate this title as essayist by always having to be reading this, that, or the other. Um, And then I, I, you know, I think about some of my favorite artists like like i will once again name drop david lynch he like doesn't watch any movies he's open about the fact that he doesn't watch movies he's like oh i don't like most movies (laughs) (laughs) and like like um joaquin phoenix one of my favorite actors he does not watch any television shows even in this golden age of television that we're living in he's like yeah people always tell me to watch things i just have no interest He's like, I don't do that. I'm not interested. I'm not going to watch Game of Thrones. And I was like, wow, the power, the power that it takes (laughs) to say I'm not going to watch any television. (laughs) It's astounding. (laughs) Um, and, And there is just, there's so much peer pressure to watch everything. And, you know, especially as like a young woman who's been working since she was a teenager, I really can't stand that kind of like, attitude of like, oh, you haven't seen this? Do you, you know, what do you even know about movies? Or like, oh, you're new to, you know, you're new to all this cause you haven't seen, I'm just gonna list something random, like, like, oh, you haven't seen Citizen Kane? Like, time to watch that because you're invalid as an artist if you haven't seen that. I'm so over that kind of attitude. And, I, of course, I love movies and I, you know, particularly love television. But there are plenty of things that I haven't seen. And and that's okay. Um, I'm working through my list and I'm working through my list choosing the things that speak to me because life is short and I don't want to waste my precious hours watching things because... Someone shamed me into doing it. Watching things I don't enjoy because someone shamed me into doing it.
0: This morning, I published an essay called Souvenirs. And in it, I explore what was so inspiring and so important to me at Oxford. And one of the paragraphs was directly inspired by Ashley's letter, where I write about the relief I felt at university for this shift in attitude away from shaming each other for what we didn't know. That's something that I experienced a lot in in high school in New England was, oh my gosh, I can't believe you haven't seen this movie. I can't believe you don't know this author. And in turn, apologizing for if someone says, have you read this? The expectation is to say, I'm so sorry, I have not read every piece of Russian literature. But at Oxford, there is this understanding of just how much there is to read, just how much there is to learn, and that the core texts that everyone is expected to be familiar with are not always the ones that deserve the most attention as well. I remember having breakfast with someone from college who was studying physics and we were asking each other about what we were talking, what we were learning and i said i'm writing an essay about charlotte brontë and he said oh who's that and it was such a relief i love that <laughs> like he didn't have to pretend like he oh i and i know like they just cut out all of the the time wastage of judging each other and just like tell me about her and I asked him an equally stupid question about physics. And it's not a stupid question. It's just, let's just cut to sharing.
1: <laughs> and I would love to just invite people to to do that more often, to have that kind of curiosity, but also not commit to watching something or reading something just because someone else tells you to. I find myself, I always go, oh, yeah, I'll watch it. Mm. And like, I would love to stop saying that because like I haven't done anything wrong (laughs) by not seeing this you know like he didn't do anything wrong by not knowing who Charlotte Bronte was he has other things in his life that he's more excited about and maybe because he asked you about her it will spark his curiosity and then he will go read a book of hers but like also maybe not and what matters is the interaction that you two have and the excitement that you share in your conversation with each other, what matters is not that he goes and and reads that book. And it put it challenged me
0: as well because who does that? who I never have to explain who Charlotte Bronte is, but he challenged me to sum her up. And in doing so, I learned things too. I refreshed my own knowledge of what is the important thing that I want to communicate about this author. It made me think about what I was learning in a different
1: way. I have a friend out here in L.A., my friend Alex, who he's he's so well read and he's so well versed in television and pop culture. Just wonderful. But whenever he tells me about something I haven't seen, he always says, oh, I'm so excited for you. Mm hmm. And it's not condescending at all. It's it, He's sincerely excited for his friends when they haven't seen something that he really loves. Because he's like, you get to experience that thing if you want to. You get to experience that for the first time. That's amazing. And I'm like, what a good attitude that is. And I want to do that for other people. You know, I would love to just... Tell them a couple things about whatever film or or television show or book it is and say, I'm so excited for you if this is something that sparks your interest because that's so cool that you get to experience it for the first time. And if it doesn't, like, that's cool too. You You don't need to take my advice or you don't need to take the suggestion at all. How does watching movies
0: impact your acting?
1: I certainly think that, I mean, the more you work, this is true too. But it's important to watch things because you start to notice technical choices. You start to notice little things like lighting, even. You start to notice, um, even, even areas where, like, a costume choice is distracting or. Mm-hmm someone's acting is bad, like those things are really helpful. Those things are my school. I really love watching things with my roommate Keitra because she always notices technical parts of film and television, especially, um, uh, especially soundtrack and film score. She really notices that stuff and I don't as much. And it's a relief for me to watch things with her because I always obsess over little details with excitement and like with enthusiasm. I love doing that. But I think that it can be annoying to people who aren't in the film industry to watch things with me, to be perfectly honest, because I'm out loud obsessing over these little details. And it comes from wanting to share that with them. But it's not always interesting. So I love watching things with Keitra because we both consider it school. And... And it's just satisfying to share that with someone. One of my favorite discoveries when I first got to Los Angeles was noticing how many of my peers loved watching animated shows and, like, would really finally be able to relax when they watched anime or a cartoon. And even though actors are voicing those things, my, my, um, my assumption about why film actors love watching cartoons or reality TV. So many famous people love watching reality TV, which made no sense to me until I moved here. I realized that it's because it it's not homework. Mm. When you're watching anime or you're watching like the Great British Baking Show, it's not homework. You're not doing your job. And suddenly I understood it. Even if I rewatch, like, a sitcom that I've seen a hundred times, I am in actor brain. Mm. And that just becomes more true every year. I like actor brain. I love my work, and I love the little things that I notice and obsess about, and I love thinking about people's acting choices, but it isn't relaxing. It's just not. And frankly, like, I don't want to be relaxed. I, I want to be affected, but I, I feel like I am working when I watch film and TV and thank God for baking reality competitions and thank God for podcasts and thank God for me, for, um, for me, thank God for comics and uh, you know even fiction or nonfiction that although I, it's it serves my art and it's part of what informs my art, I don't feel like I'm working when I'm consuming those things.
0: Well, there's another question to add to our title. Can podcasters enjoy podcasts? I think that a podcast can often feel like work for me in the self-development genre when it feels too similar to what I write about. But I love listening to Rob Has a Podcast, which recaps reality TV I listen to WDW Radio, which is about Disney World. I love listening to podcasts about things that I am interested in. And at the same time, I'm accidentally studying the art of podcasting as well. By listening to what I feel like listening to, I'm also noticing and picking up on things that the host does to lead the show as research for
1: leading this show. Yeah, at this point in my life, I definitely feel like I'm I'm researching when I listen to podcasts, and I still listen to the podcasts of you know many of my friends or like on a specific topic I'll listen to something or like a, a specific actor is interviewed and I'll go listen to their interview, but most of the time listening to podcasts at this point since we're producing this show, I am researching. I'm unable to turn that part of my brain off. It's interesting that you said the thing about self-development though, listening to self-development podcasts and like versus um versus the reality TV podcast. And I'm curious in your reading life whether you have certain genres that are only for pleasure. I was thinking about this because I try to
0: make all of my reading only for pleasure. As much as I can. Whenever I feel like I'm reading something because I ought to, then I question whether I should be reading it at all. (laughs) And there's this sweet spot that we touched on a little bit about reading something that is relevant enough to my work, but it's also distant enough that it doesn't feel uncomfortably close. I love to something that was really liberating about defining myself as an essayist is the peers that i I categorized myself with, where I realized I don't want to be i I don't want to be one of these bloggers. I want to be hanging out with Henry David Thoreau and Ralph Waldo Emerson. I love reading essays from a hundred years ago, or I love reading. Zadie Smith, or someone more literary. And when I read someone who's a little more conversational, which is where my writing style veers towards, when I read something that's too modern, it it feels, it feels uncomfortable to me. It's, it's too on the nose. <laughs> so I like to read something that's a little bit off.
1: So you really have to steer away from anyone who feels too similar to you
0: yeah and I wonder if I wonder if similar is the word that i'm I'm trying to reach for here, but uh yeah i I guess so and then outside of reading essays, I've learned, as we talked about on our fun episode, that it is essential for me to engage with whatever feels like it's fun because that is what will work its way back into my writing as well. I reference everything from Marvel movies to middle English poetry in my essays. And I don't do that on purpose. I do it because it's how I relate to the ideas that I'm exploring. So I, I've learned that once I pick an essay topic, once I'm writing out the idea, if I think I don't then do more research around that topic, I work with what I already have. So in my Owl Post essay, for instance, I was writing about social media and this the, the way that I balance my ideas with how I communicate and wanting to have boundaries around that practice. And I kept asking myself, what is this like? What is this like? And I was reading Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix for my sacred text reading group. And there is this passage where the owls are arriving at breakfast and delivering the letters, and Harry's waiting for a letter from Sirius and it doesn't come. And then he knows that that's the window when an, a letter will arrive. So he isn't then checking his phone all day for a text message. He just waits until the next day. And I thought, well this boundary that I'm trying to set up of logging out of my logging out of my Instagram or disconnecting from social media, what I'm really looking for is is like the ritual of owl post and so that that metaphor just popped up randomly because of taking time to to do something that wasn't related to my work.
1: I love that yet again, we have to sort of save ourselves from ourselves like Mm. so much of our art lives are about like creating these boundaries for ourselves creating these structures and these practices not because they're always so inspiring or exciting but because like we have to protect ourselves from our own minds or from our own impulsivity or from our own neuroses with tracking everything or always needing to be an achiever. A huge part of the art life is not being your own worst enemy and doing whatever you have to do, even if it's uncomfortable, to stop yourself from being your own worst enemy. And sometimes like the work is like making, you know, in my case or or in your case, but sometimes the work, quote unquote, is like making yourself have fun. Making yourself read for pleasure, making yourself watch reality TV so that you can actually enjoy something without thinking about the the acting choices. I love
0: reality TV, too.
1: <laughs> I, I think, know you do.
0: Yeah, Survivor just started. And I learn so much about personal development from watching Survivor because it's just about people coming to terms with themselves when they're stripped of the context of their life. I learn... From that as art, in a way that feels more organic than reading a fiftieth personal development book, so I've read so many it really yeah, I, I search for it in other places,
1: I think that's fantastic, and it really inspires me to find what those things are for myself mm-hmm. like and I think often is reading um fiction or reading comics when. It, because I I draw so much more inspiration from those than from simply watching a film. Or I think that often those inform my acting more than trying to repeat something that I see on film.
0: As we talk about this, I'm reminded of one of my favorite novels, my favorite novel, Northanger Abbey by Jane Austen, which inspired the term heroin training. It's a satirical novel, and... It's about a girl who loves reading novels. But at the time, novels were novel novels were spoken about the way that we're talking about reality TV today, of it's this junk food kind of perception. And the characters in the novel are judging Catherine for enjoying something so frivolous when she could be reading a more serious text, like a a history book. And she connects with this guy because he admits to loving novels too. And beyond that, she uses the fictional worlds that she's living in through reading to understand her own place in the world. So at the beginning of this episode, you mentioned how social media inspires this competitiveness around what we read and the uh, this judgment around and status around what we read. But
1: in some ways, that's been around for a long time. It definitely has. And we can, you know, we can always go, oh, our generation is dumb because... <laughs> They don't read or whatever it is, you know every generation just complains about the younger generation <laughs> <laughs> for not for not being refined enough or cultured enough or whatever it is for not consuming the right art um, but but that judgment is always going to exist, so we have to just choose to consume what we actually enjoy, and like Ashley said, like consume the art. Because we want to sincerely connect with other fans. We want to make build relationships around shared interests. Not compete with our friends because we've read X more times. Um, you know, one of the lovely things about talking about this this week is that in a week I'll be seeing you at LeakyCon. You and I are going to be hanging out at a Harry Potter conference with my dad and my little brother and so many other people that we know, sharing um, just unbridled enthusiasm about Harry Potter, still now in 2019, just because it brings us joy. And of course there's so much competitiveness in fan culture, whether it's about collectibles or about how many times you've seen something, who you've met, or what tattoo you have. But you know, I I think that the the friends that we have aren't so much like that, and um, it just reminds me like why we love art, why we love making it, and why we love engaging with it. So I'm really excited that I'm going to see you soon on this shared, loving, enthusiastic space that is LeakyCon. I can't believe that's in a week.
0: Now that we've turned into, you know, when we turn the page into the new calendar, just it, October felt like
1: so long away because it was several pages away in my diary. I do want to ask you before we close, and of course, no judgment. Mm-hmm. Do you track your reading and your watching? I do by hand in my, in my planner. Do you write it like in on the, the day that you watch something or do you have a list in the back of your planner?
0: I have a list on the graph paper section of the Passion Planner, and then on a weekly basis, I write these, I draw these little symbols, and last week I mentioned that I have a song of the week, so I draw a little music note and I fill in my song of the week, and then I also note down what I'm reading and what I'm watching, because even though I've let go of goals to finish things, I still want to encourage my personal habit of being in the process of reading something. So I'll often wait until the end of the week to fill that in because I might pick up a few different books before really committing to one. But as long as I'm, I'm in one of the books by the end of the week, then that's the only goal that I have.
1: I knew that you would be tracking things, and I knew that it would be handwritten. (laughs) I just wanted to hear you say it.
0: (laughs) What about you? I know you were on on Goodreads before. Are you still keeping up with that?
1: So I am still on Goodreads. I am am definitely an immediate tracker on Goodreads. So as soon as I finish, as soon as I close a book, it goes up on the Goodreads count. And I do set a goal every year. Um, my goal every year has been a hundred books for the past couple years, I believe. And um, I've been meaning that. And it does, I mean, for me, it helps me stay on track and it, and it, I enjoy keeping pace. Um, I, tr- I've started tracking my film watching on this site called Letterboxed, which is basically Goodreads for movies. But I'm furious that television is not part of it. So I I need like, I don't know, I I need to create a website that Mm -hmm. tracks all three because I really do enjoy the tracking um, Mm -hmm. and the list keeping and the discovery of, you know, seeing what other people are reading, watching, writing about. But, you know, my dream would be that there was a place for all of those things and maybe music too. Um, and, and I understand the irony of saying this in an episode where we're talking about not being achievement oriented, where we're talking about not competing, but I, I definitely don't see my um, my hundred book goal as a competition with anyone. It's just like, it's a priority for me. It's just like a place to track something that is so much my priority. And um, I love seeing what my friends are reading. Like I'll, I'll see people on that site who they haven't spoken to for a long time and I'll see what they're reading and I think that's so cool. Um, And if it looks good, I'll add it to my list. Um, But yeah, I mean, gosh, someday I would love to see a site that is all of those things. And then I would love to get off social media entirely. And I would love... (laughs) To only, only keep on the website that is about what art I'm consuming, and just seeing what my friends are consuming. Um, because that's all I'm really interested in.
0: I might actually use that. Maybe let's 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 make that website because I TM. <laughs> I love discovering these little nuances, Grace. Where the two of us are so similar and so different, where everything that you described for Goodreads, that absolutely does not work for me. I found it, I found myself getting way too caught up in the progress bar and the competition of how many books my friends were reading. And I, it was, it took away the fun for me. The star ratings took away the joy of discovering books for me. Oh,
1: I've stopped rating things. That was a decision I made mm. last year. Speaking of tracking and, you know, using it as a social network almost, um, my friend Randy Reby, a fantastic young adult author who actually recently published this book called Patron Saints of Nothing, which is like winning a, like an unbelievable amount of awards. He's so amazing. Blah, blah, blah. I could talk about him forever. Um. Anyway, he stopped reading books on Goodreads and seeing him do that gave me permission. Mm. And there was also, like, an awkwardness about rating things when you are an artist and some of your peers are artists. Mm. Because, like, if I'm reading a book that my friend wrote, I don't want to put a fucking rating on it. (laughs) And, of course, then I'm just going to give it five stars because they're my friend. And I will – obviously, I go out of my way to go rate the – you know, rate my – friends podcasts, hint, hint, wink, wink, um, or books (laughs) or films, you know, like I I, I try to spread the word and celebrate the things that my friends make, but I feel kind of awkward about tracking things and putting a public rating on them. If my friends are involved in them, it, I don't know, it, it, it like, it feels, it just makes me uncomfortable. So if I'm so motivated to go support my friend, I will go find their thing and I'll give it five stars and write a review because I love them. And I'm, you know, I'm choosing to take the time to do that. But my general rule is like not to rate things that I track,
0: whether it's film or books. I think rating things is, and we've talked about this before, rating things is totally going to be a future episode. And I'm a former theater critic, so there's a whole thing about star ratings there as well. But I think on this topic, the decision not to rate is such a deliberate one for choosing how I engage with the art that I'm consuming. The aim is not to assess, but to extract meaning from, to connect with. And it I just I feel more a part of it than when I disassociate to decide how good something is.
1: Well, and the aim is to just yeah experience something mm. without all of those voices in your head talking about well this person liked it and this person says it's bad. You yeah. know, like I just want to detach myself from that so badly and truly come up with my own opinions based on how I f- how I feel when experiencing something. But until I'm able to like have selective memory loss about what I hear and have memory loss about, you know, who might be seeing my reviews. I'm just gonna choose to not review anything to keep myself sane. So what is the art life? The art life is having enthusiasm for whatever brings you joy, regardless of what you should or should not like. Mm. Zandra, what is the art life?
0: I wrote down something you said earlier, which I really liked. The art life is saving ourselves from ourselves. I think there is an art I'm realizing in interpretation. How I read a text, how you watch a movie, that interpretation, that response, even if it's just in our head, that's art in itself. And it's how we
1: save ourselves from ourselves. In Austin Kleon's book that I read yesterday, he said, I don't think the world needs more great artists. I think the world needs more decent human beings. Ooh, And I'm trying to carry that with me in the way that I talk about art and in the way that I create it. I want to put an equal sign
0: in there as well of a great artist is a decent human being. I
1: love that. That's the new standard. <laughs>
0: that's, a def- that's the definition. We figured it out.
1: The end. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> so we touched on the essay that you just published today, talking about how people at Oxford are not as judgmental or pretentious as one might assume when talking about literature. Sandra, that was one of my favorite essays. Every time I feel like we record, though, I say that is one of my favorite essays. Whenever you publish that week, I think your writing is just getting better and better. I don't know. It's just also so wonderful. Um, where can people find your art?
0: First of all, thank you. Uh, I, I feel that way, too. And I, I think every essay is getting better because it's building on the last one. And I guess that means I'm doing my job. You can read my essays on herointraining.com. I can email them to you every week for free at herointraining.com/slash-subscribe, and I publish them on Instagram as well at herointraining. And then on Patreon, I record audiobook versions of my of my essays in a feed I call Read by Zandra, so I can read them to you there. I also wanted to mention this episode that something that every patron of mine gets from the one dollar tier and up is a feature called Secret Stories, which I I send out every week where I illuminate something from my writing process. I'll tell more stories like I have on this episode about how I connected an idea to another idea often by accident, but in paying attention and taking the time to work these things through it it becomes art and there there are these running themes in my life that i wouldn't have put together if i didn't stop to write it down
1: i think like the beautiful way that you write in your essays and the slowness and the intention with which you approach your art is always so astounding and it makes the behind-the-scenes stuff even more special because anytime I see something, you know, that you're publicly publishing, any essay you're publishing, I'm like, oh, this is, this is so complete. This is so thought out. This is so masterful, if I might say. And I love the secret stories because I really, I really do love seeing the behind-the-scenes stuff because, gosh, I, you know, I want to know how you got from point A to point B. I want to know what went into that essay that I I read today. I want to know, you know, about the walk that you took. I want, it, it's just so lovely to get to peek behind the curtain a little bit. So I'm just really glad to be your patron. Thank you.
0: I'm glad that you're here. Grace, where can people find your art?
1: My art can be found on patreon.com slash Official. If you want to just keep up with what I'm up to, that's the place to go for dollar a month or more. Um, just because I, I, I post where to find anything I'm working on. Like, I post this podcast, I post little snapshots of modeling work. I, you know, I was a guest on another podcast recently and I posted that. I have a film coming out on Amazon Prime pretty soon. And I, that's, you know, it's, I'm gonna post it on Patreon first. So that's definitely where to, to go find me if you're interested in sort of keeping up with everything. Patreon's the equivalent of my newsletter. I don't have one, I don't really want one. You can join Patreon if you wanna keep up. Um, and then of course I also post on Instagram, at Grace Gordon Official, and that's more of just the day-to-day social stuff. I would really love for whoever's listening to this that is a web developer, to develop my dream social media that I have concocted tonight, <laughs> please, please please website designers or app designers, if you are listening, make that, make that website, and then I'll no longer mention I'll no longer mention my patreon, frankly. <laughs> you just make a site where I can track all forms of art consumption. You
0: know, in tying this back to our previous episode on letter writing, something that occurs to me is I love the details of when when my pen pals and I have a little section or a little sticky note on our letters that just list what we're reading, what we're listening to. I love that context. <laughs>
1: I love that you do that. I always do that with my patrons that I write to. I have a couple of people on like the letter writing tier of my Patreon and I always include little notes like what I'm, you know, reading, watching, listening to. Um and I really do discover things though through my friends. So, I'm I'm mm. that's like one of my favorite parts of of getting a letter from someone is uh seeing what they're reading or listening to or watching.
0: That's mostly where I get my recommendations for things, too, is word of mouth from people I trust, whether they're friends, pen pals, or booksellers. And that's a whole topic in itself as well
1: of what do I read next? To be continued. To be continued because the to-be-read list is endless. Ooh. Or non-existent in my case.
0: Or non-existent. It is everything and nothing.
1: <laughs> How's that for And that And that is the topic podcast. that needs to that is a topic that needs to come up in a future episode for sure. <laughs> Until then, whether it is morning when you're listening to this, afternoon or evening, for me it's 1:52 a.m. I hope you have a wonderful day and I hope you read or watch something for pleasure today.
0: Let us know what you're reading, listening to, reading in all forms of the word. Good day. Good night. This is The Art Life, a heroin training podcast with Grace Gordon and me, Zondra Robinson-Burns. You can find us online at theartlife.show and send letters to The Art Life, Care of Grace Gordon, P.O. Box number 4292, Valley Village, California, 91607, or email us theartlife@herointraining.com. Our theme music is The Stream by Rory. Thank you for joining us.